if you object in any way to this episode, speak now or forever hold your peace. But hopefully you won't. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week we will be discussing a brand new release. Well, a new old release, actually. We are doing Taylor Swift's Speak Now, Taylor's version, her third of six re-recorded albums. She, um, for those who don't know, has been re-recording her first six albums because her masters were sold to another company and she didn't like that. So she's taking her ownership back because she feels artists should own their work and doing a power move on everybody by going back and recording all her old albums. So uh, we're now halfway done it and you would think we're doing it in chronological order, but we're not (laughs) at all. Actually the album's, the one before this and the one after this we've gotten already, but now we're in the middle of that with Speak Now. <sighs> it's it's super wild to see. And we've we've had conversations on this podcast, we've had conversations off of this podcast just about the sheer brilliance of taking back your music. We've seen it happen so many times throughout history where somehow somebody that that artist might not want to have the rights their music has it. And it's not just empowering, but it's pretty wild in this day and age to really see this woman just getting her, her stuff back, rightfully so. So good for you, Taylor. Good for you. Yeah. And interestingly, the company that did buy it ended up selling them anyway. So really? Yeah. I think they, uh, I'm guessing Scooter Braun, um, got nervous when he heard about these re-recordings. He knew they'd be devalued. And, um, I mean, Taylor's not a fan of the guy. And all I'm going to say is he's Justin Bieber's manager. I think that tells you what you need to know about that guy. Uh, I don't think that paints him in a good light. <laughs> now, and I understand there's a lot of momentum going forward or while she's doing this but now that it's sold from braun to someone else do you think she makes the play to buy the rest back or do you think she says screw it you guys now have the the old copies and i'm about to to blow it up you know nope she's dived into this project and she's gonna keep doing it that's the that is the point we're at we're just gonna keep doing it and as she said now, based on her tour, she's in her era's era. So she's just kind of doing it all right now. I mean, her current single's from an album from four years ago. There you go. There so, you go. And we have a re-recording of an album that's almost 13 years old. And the last album hasn't even been out for a year. So we are truly in the era's era. But we got to go back to 2010 before we... Uh, really get to today to discuss the re-recording so circa 2010 taylor swift had already had two very successful albums um and uh, she recently put out a prologue actually writing about this time and said she was under intense pressure to follow up one of the most successful albums in country music history which was fearless which had worldwide smashes like love story and you belong with me so there definitely was a lot of pressure in that regard but she also really wanted to prove herself as a writer because there were people taking shots at her saying like she can't sing and 
criticizing her love life, and she really wanted to show she was a true artist and not an industry creation. She wanted to show she was in it for real, so she intentionally set out to make Speak Now a self-written album where she composed every single song, words and music, by herself. No co-writers. And she's always been the primary, to say the least, lyricist on her music, but this is a unusual thing. This is the only album of hers that stands out this way. What a challenge at the age of 18 to 20 yeah. that she's writing all these songs by herself to prove. It's um, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, and she had a lot that she had to say, it turned out. So we got this album, and uh, when it was released, it, well, it actually debuted with first week sales of over a million copies, which was pretty shocking to hear of for 2010, but now that's the norm for this artist. Um, though, interestingly, from what I remember back during that era, she certainly had her fans, but this album definitely didn't have the huge hits that the previous one did. It didn't feel like as big of a deal. And at least at the time, it's like, obviously, she was selling tickets and albums, but I don't really remember a lot of these songs crossing over to pop radio at the very least. Like that era, I felt like it was very Katy Perry, Rihanna, Gaga. Like those were the girls of that time. Taylor wasn't in that conversation really quite yet. She began to be with the follow-up album, and those songs I remember were in really heavy rotation, but this one I feel like in some ways fell to the wayside, but it's always been a fan favorite amongst the Swifties, and really the last album of hers that a lot of people would consider in any way to be a country album, but even then we're definitely hearing her move away from that sound very much on certain tracks on this album. So what what do you recall from the era the first time? Do you remember this album being really a big thing? I'm actually glad you said what you just said, because as I was going through this, I was searching my memories and trying to figure out why I never heard any of these songs on the radio. Like going down the original track list, I don't remember them like that. I I don't remember them. Now, there are, because it's that artist, you know, as in any artist, we have these little nuances that show up throughout their music. And they almost started in my crazy brain to convince me that I knew these songs, but but I didn't. Uh, and, and 2010, I don't, she was a young face to me. She was... I don't know if I, you know what? I'm not going to say I don't know. I didn't believe in her like I believe in her now um, through finding her music back then. Uh, not, to, not to be in a negative light on it. It's not that I didn't think she had talent. Um, the girl could sing from the get-go, and she was a, a beautiful young lady. But the fact of the matter was, I did think what you alluded to before, where she had to get out of the mold on this, I still had her in that mold of, oh, they're making another little cute blonde country artist? Cool. Kudos to her, and she's got some fun stuff, and she's dating John Mayer. That's that's the extent of, of what I knew about her at this, at, in, at 2010. In 2010, that's, that's all I really knew of her 
um yeah so she didn't really make it or this album really didn't make an impact on me as far as me remembering any of it yeah i didn't listen to this until like 2019 actually i kind of steered away from it for a long time because it was country and at the time i just think the songs weren't for me and they weren't written for me they were written to speak to teenage girls in particular it was their perspective that was being shared and i wasn't that wasn't where I was at that point in time. I was in eighth grade when this came out. So this just wasn't it for me. And when I wanted my pop music, I really was going for the escapist route through it all was where I was, like I said, with your Katy Perry and Rihanna's. That's what I was listening to. And that was not what Taylor Swift was doing, though. But she was carving out her huge niche at this time, I guess you could say. I'll tell you what, I got to give credit to whoever, whether it was label, whether it was manager, whether whether it was Taylor Swift on her own, sticking up for herself, but letting this album come out without, in my opinion, like super pop hits, uh, especially at that point in her career. They really, from what I see, and this is hindsight, they really let her take the reins on this and I mean, we already stated, you know, she was writing the entirety of these songs from 18 to 20. And there are no, in my in my opinion, not to get too far ahead of myself, but there's no real, I'll, I'll, I'll start using the word now, the, the machine, we always talk about it. There's no real imprint of the machine on this album. And I like that. I actually, I love that. And I'll raise a question and we can answer it as we go through, but I don't think this album is possible in the extent that we got it if they didn't let her go at her own open mind of an 18 to 20 year old because this is uh, I'll, I'll use the word raw but this is a raw look into the mind of this girl throughout those two years and I I I won't use genius just yet but I think it's really really an awesome way to do an album um especially for uh, yeah especially for a young artist inside and i've already started so inside of the machine it's just it's really in a happy way mind-blowing to see that they let her make this album you know yeah and it let's be clear this was a big leap for her like we are seeing the um footprints of what we're going to get in the future and the album was actually originally going to be titled Enchanted, but Scott Bor- Borchetta, head of Big Machine Records, who did have a pretty nasty falling out with Taylor Swift over the sale of her masters, but he said, this is a more grown-up Taylor. You can't call the album Enchanted. Like, that's fairy tales. We're, we're moving into something different here, and that's why... We got this title, Speak Now. And it works because this is in many ways that confessional style of album that we're getting here. And uh, I think it's very important. And, uh, well, I'll tell you now, folks, if you like tea involving celebrities, buckle up. We've got some for you. <laughs> With, um, <laughs> this is the celebrity gossip album. I'll say that now for Taylor Swift. This is the one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm paraphrasing, but when I was reading about it, I don't think it was back then. I think it was after the fact that she released it, but she said that this album was basically, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but basically 
a bunch of letters to the people that she had met throughout these two years and saying things that I don't know if she said she wishes she wishes she would have said, but she, you know, again, paraphrasing she stuff that she wanted to say that she didn't. Yeah. Things she should have said, I guess you could say. So <laughs> that's why that's why she's speaking now and not forever holding her peace. That's the whole point of this. So exactly. What a perfect title for that kind of album, especially if that's where it is in your head as an artist. Yep. And uh yeah, now we have the re-recording out and um it's already uh already broken two huge records. It had the biggest streaming day for a new release on Spotify of the year so far. And it's now the biggest first day for any country album ever. So take that, Morgan Wallen, with your 36-song album. (laughs) I'll tell you. (laughs) I'm sorry. Take that. Take that. I'll tell you, it's not that the numbers blow my mind because I've come to expect them with her caliber. Um, But they're wild numbers, man. They are these are wild. re-recordings. People already yeah, know yeah. most of these songs. There's over half, well over half of them have been around for a long time. Yeah, and and speaking of the re-recordings, just so I don't have to say it over and over and over again, there is such a meticulous concentration on keeping these songs so close to the source material i when i first started to go at this i picture like loading up one here and one here side by side and just being like all right let's find the differences but it's futile by and i figured that out by by like the third fourth track on the album it's futile because there's been so much of a meticulous concentration to make this perfect it is phenomenal it is, yeah. and I'll even go out on a on a limb and say that she took a younger tone with her voice. Oh uh, yeah, uh, for, for you know for the actual um, tracks that were on the original album, it's almost like she sang a little younger, and I love that. I love that. Yeah, because we're going back to that. We're going back to that place. So there we have. That's really. Yeah, has it? I'm sorry. I, it's it's just it it really. We haven't talked about it yet, and it blows my mind. Like, has this ever really happened in the history of music? There's never been an artist doing this kind of project on this caliber. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Really, really yeah. cool. It is very neat. And um, yeah. With that being said, let's dive into "Speak Now" Taylor's version. I'm very excited to do so. So, um. The album begins with Mine, which was the lead single for the album back in 2010. Um, this one, I think, sounds even better now than it did back then. Uh, I do. This was a hit. I remember it getting some rotation. It just wasn't as big as the big hits off the previous album. It wasn't quite that omnipresent, but it, it did its thing. And uh, at the time, I felt like this is kind of the same old, same old from her, but... Now I enjoy this song a lot. I mean, it definitely shows off her storytelling skills. I mean, you made a rebel of a careless man's careful daughter. That's one of the best lines in any song ever. (laughs) And uh, 
it's got that big old pop hook it into in it there that contains the line I just mentioned. So I have a lot of respect for this song. I've always enjoyed it. Well, since 2019, at least I've enjoyed it when I really took the time to appreciate it. And I think it's the perfect opener for the album. Yeah. I, I mean, first track and you're talking in my opinion of almost like first love, like that first time you find love, what a better way to start an album about the last two years of your life and, and how it made you feel that line. I'm going to say it again because it needs to be said a million times. And I'll also apologize to anybody who's heard it a million times before this. A lot of this is first time. Listen for me, as far as going through this album, but you made a rebel of a careless man's careful daughter. Whew, I stopped it. The first time I listened to the song, I stopped it right there, rewound it, and was like, wait a minute, what did she say? She, her lyrical prowess, I mean, we've we've gone through it and said this, but I mean, her lyrical prowess is just top, top caliber, top tier. Uh, and then at three minutes when this song, the back drops off it and she's in the spotlight by herself but the musicality of it is so genius because as she comes back into where you think she's just going to keep singing instead she just belts out mine the word mine and rolls it while the band picks back up and and goes on like she's still singing it's really really top-notch stuff man and like i said it's not like it, it happened on the re-recording this was there on on the original track and it's it's crazy to see an artist this young grasp these concepts that's why she's still here that's why she's doing what she's doing that's why she's doing the numbers she's doing that's why some people might call her the new grateful dead as far as a touring band goes <laughs> this is why this lady does what she does and it shows off here great opener I completely agree. Yeah. Excellent opener and uh, tough to follow, but we're going to keep it going with track number two, Sparks Fly. This song actually dates back before Speak Now. It dates back to her debut era. She um first performed it at live performances in 2007 and um some bootleg video that became a fan favorite. That's her being Grateful Dead already there right. <laughs> with the bootlegging, but uh, fans were really asking her to put it on her next album by the time Speak Now was about to be released. And so she listened, but reworked it a bit, understandably, to make it fit more with these songs. Um, and uh, yeah, it's about, it's basically about her just trying to resist a man, but it's really hard. Um, this is definitely what I call a high stakes kind of song i mean drop everything now kiss me in the pouring rain it's just full-blown teenage romanticism here um this is a hot tea take this song is beloved by a lot of people i've always kind of found this song to be overrated i think there are better songs on this album and uh it's just too much all around the bit and i think the epic kind of track is done epic romantic track is done much better later on the album this one doesn't quite hit that height for me i think it's a good song i just think there's better songs here you make it easier for me when i'm coming in on this one because retroactively and i say that like 
finding Taylor today and going backwards as we have almost in, yeah, in our listening, it, it, she has already set such a high bar for me. So when Sparks Fly started the first time, I had a lump in my throat because I thought, oh my gosh, like it's very, in the, in the beginning, in the intro, it's very similar musically. And here we are in this fledgling love. It's on display again. We're only on track two and it always almost feels repeated, like you said, but she does a, a, a good job here. Uh, you know, the, she you can't take beautiful lyrics away and she gets that really profound kiss me in the rain moments here and it's not really stuffed down our throat which which i enjoy um i think my favorite part of this and and really a breath of fresh air like okay calm down you're you're setting the bar way too high is at 254 the syncopation i really love that syncopation at 254 it gives an edge to this song that this song needed musically for me and then it's softened and stripped down and then we crescendo into the outro and i really like how that's done um it, it was the moment it was an oh shit moment in a negative way coming into sparks fire like oh no 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 is young taylor like a repeat song kind of girl not knowing her but not the case um i could see where you're saying not the favorite and i can see where you're saying uh, I, took, I actually really agree with you on the case of it is done again on this album and in, in our opinions, better, but it's not a terrible song, you know, yeah, it's, not it's, at it's all. a good one. Yeah. It's a good song. Yeah. It's just when we're deciding between a lot of good songs, we gotta, we gotta be a little, we gotta, the quest for quality is ruthless, I would say. <laughs> uh, most definitely. I, I love to chuckle with her going through her lyrics because she's such a artist in, in that in that area and when she like draws upon stuff that i can only imagine was near and dear to her teenage mind like kisses in the rain i automatically thought a notebook whether or not that was the inspiration but it was there for her she does a great job doing that i'm now I, I still love it <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can't say i always loved it for her because i am uh I'm a young Swifty <laughs> well, in the, in the sense of knowing her, but I, I love it. I mean, I kind of am in some ways like too, cause this wasn't my era, but you know, the music, Um, I think that's part of the beauty of these re-recordings actually, is if you weren't there listening the first time or maybe didn't like it as much before, now that you are a fan, you can go back and appreciate it in a different way. I think that's a really cool thing to be doing and i was familiar with the original version of the album but i do think it's cool to experience it in an all-new way um yeah. and this is kind of the last time i think i'm gonna get that because uh 1989 and reputation i was there for i remember those eras pretty well but um that's for very future podcasts so yeah I think that's where the these numbers, a lot of these numbers are coming from too, is that same exploration of maybe people that, maybe even younger heads that oh, found definitely. her later on, you know? Yeah, because... Ah, that's cool, man. She's still got a lot of teenage fans who love the newer stuff and kids, but now they're going back and hearing the older stuff too, which I think is really neat. And it's already showing how her music is standing the test of time already. 
you know, there was another band that did that when I was in my in my teenage years. I found a uh, an album called Dick's Picks, and it was the Grateful Dead. <laughs> and what they do is Dick's Dick's Picks are old uh, Grateful Dead shows that they bring out of the archives. And and me, a young head, was falling in love with these ones uh, that that my elders already knew about. So. Just goes to show Taylor's Grateful Dead, hundred percent. Yep, that's <laughs> that's where we're going. But uh, we we can't say that our next song is like the Grateful Dead or the previous two songs, for that matter. Um, if you thought the first two songs were too similar, we are going to get something all new at this point. Our first ever Taylor Swift apology song back to December. Um, yeah, she. Never done an apology song. That was pretty well documented, so it was pretty surprising that she did this. And at the time, she said, quote, Guys get what they deserve in my songs, and if they deserve an apology, they should get one. There was someone who was absolutely wonderful to me, and I dropped the ball, and I needed to say all that. So there there you have it right there. And um, this one, it's very direct. It's not the most... It's It's not quite as, like, high on the big imagery as some of the other songs, I don't think, but it hits to the point. It's like, this is me swallowing my pride and telling you I'm sorry for that night. And that's just really the best way you can say it. And it's backed by this beautiful orchestral arrangement. And it's just a beautiful, I mean, it's got elements of country. It's got elements of pop. It's a really beautiful composition. And here's how you know it's a good song. On the country playlist at my last job, this was the one song from this album on it, and I didn't get sick of this one because it's such a damn good song. So there we have it. Back to December is definitely a winner. It's it's a great one. I know adults that aren't capable of saying sorry. So for oh, a yeah. tw- you know a twenty year old girl to be able to put that in front of the world, I I that's mad respect to her on that um as far as the musicality of this one goes this is the first time we really hear hear these strings like you said this this orchestra arrangement um behind her and i love it it has this like wintry feeling to me maybe because i equate like winter with christmas and we get these tonal bells that are in there and i love that but i think the thing that I love about this most, or one of the things that I love the most about this musically is that there is this beautiful mandolin part that's picked throughout. And even though this song has this very cinematic string vibe, orchestra vibe, they never drown out this mandolin piece that runs throughout. Um, and then, of course, to add more to the cinematics at 2.56, we get that beautiful distorted guitar uh, to ramp this this ballad up just a little bit more. Uh, it is really an awesome, awesome song. Yes, and you know, it's kind of fitting that it has a wintry feeling because, well, it's been accepted that it's about a guy who was in a vampire movie. So, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, now we're at Who's the Song About That? So this is our first one of those on this album. Um, yet it was pretty quickly people... Back then, we're picking up, this is about Taylor Lautner, who was at the time a big star because of his role in the Twilight series, which was a 
huge thing. I was never into it. I once saw the clips on a camp field trip and fell asleep during it. Um, so there, that was where I was. But uh, he and he later actually said himself in 2016, yeah, the song's about me. And well, huh. funny enough, they're good friends now. And we'll be hearing about him when we get to the vault tracks on this album. He'll be making another appearance here. Who was he? I, I Me mean, here, here. I'll show my he age was, on this. He was one. Jacob, the werewolf. The werewolf guy, the dark-haired guy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. She, she, she was boyfriend and girlfriend with him for a little bit. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Not Edward the Vampire. Not Robert Pattinson. I couldn't see her with with the Batman. No, it's not. <laughs> he he was still with Kristen Stewart though, not together anymore. But. Hey, right now on. now Robert Pattinson's the Batman. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> right? Basically, he's Bruce Wayne. <laughs> so this was about the werewolf. Back to December is about the werewolf guy. Yeah, okay. I think All that right. works perfectly. <laughs> yes. But um, we're not going to talk about anybody famous on the next song. We're going to get cheeky with our title track, Speak Now. Um. This was inspired by an unnamed friend of Taylor's whose ex was getting married to a horrible woman, in Taylor's words. And uh, with that, it's kind of one of those things when they say at a wedding, if anyone objects to this union, speak now or forever hold your peace. And she kind of makes a song about that just off the get-go. Like, I am not the kind of girl who should be rudely barging in on a white veil occasion, but you are not the kind of boy who should be marrying the wrong girl. And I I love this song the first moment I heard it. It's totally tongue-in-cheek. I love her delivery on it, and she does the delivery so well again. I was worried. I'm like, is she going to get it down perfectly again in 2023? And she did. Um, And I think this is probably her most humorous song, which I appreciate. We're really seeing that sense of humor there's some people who are not fans of this song they see this kind of lightweight throwaway but um this is one of my favorites here i am because of this song i am not the kind of boy who should be marrying the wrong kind of girl i'm telling you right now full on honesty here i got mad at her the first time i heard this because i took it too literally and I was like, what are you doing ruin somebody's marriage, girl? Get out of here with that nonsense. Uh, you know, then I got to read about it. And, you know, it was her friend's story. And then she said she woke up from a nightmare where one of her old boyfriends or or, or something to, to that effect was in the same place. And she was like, I got to write this song now. And I'm glad I got to read that because it really is a fun song, but I was way, I'm sorry, Taylor. I was way too hard on you on the first listen through of this. And I was mad at it. What kind of, what kind of message is this that we're sending? Um, <laughs> musical I can't say it's throwaway. It's a solid composition. I, I don't know if it was the first time in this album or the first time that I'd really noticed it from her, but she's got a really awesome way of going from almost a falsetto down to spoken, almost speak singing. And it's super showcased in this. And I love it. I love it. This song is such a fun song. Yes. And crazy enough, we're now quarter of the way through the album for today. And, um, yeah. With that being said, I think this is a good moment to 
Tell you all, if you haven't already, to follow us on social media at Turntables and Tea Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram, at Turntables Tea on Twitter, and also subscribe and rate us wherever you're listening to us. That would be much appreciated. And with that being said, just keep on listening because we're about to get real deep for our next one. No more tongue-in-cheek here. Um, <laughs> we're, at, we're at the infamous track five on the Taylor album, The Emotional Centerpiece. And um, this one is called Dear John. And it is a breakup ballad. And it's definitely about John Mayer. Uh, and um, she says that I don't reveal who my songs are about. But I mean... The Dear John letter is kind of a trope. That is her excuse for covering it up, and it does work in that, but there's no mistaking who it's about. This is who she was dating at the time, and then the blues guitar riffs on it. It's <laughs> it's such a knock at him, and, um, and yeah, that's definitely the musical dig in addition to the lyrics, and... um. I mean, whatever you're thinking going in, whatever you think of these two people, let's not kid ourselves. This is, she wrote in the prologue for this, she considered this her most scathing song. And uh, I mean, I don't disagree, frankly. Um, I mean, don't you think 19's to be young to be played by your dark, twisted games? It's like, whoa, like it really, she really takes us there. But, um, Something that I think people overlook about this song is kind of her vulnerability. She's not just putting somebody down by saying, like, don't you think I was too young to be messed with? She's also saying at the end of each time, I should have known. She says, like, my mother told me, don't do this. My friends are telling me, don't do this. I, I think it's a bit more of a complex story than some listeners realize. I'll say that. And, um... But the song itself, I mean, I can't take anything away from it. It's almost seven minutes long, and I don't think any of it's wasted. Nope. None at all. None at all. And here's another one. I, I hope everybody gets as much of a laugh out of it as I do, but I have set the bar so high for her that even, and me, being a, a huge John May fan, I knew the John May and Tay Tay stuff went down. I knew that was real. And and I always think of them together. But sure as shit, I didn't put him on this. And in fact, I'm looking at him right now. My first note for this one was serious John Mayer vibes in this comp composition. And what I was saying was, I really thought that the blues guitar in here sounded a lot like John Mayer. But <laughs> I... The Dear John trope is a perfect way um, to encapsulate this. But also, like you said, the Dear John thing is not something to be taken lightly and it's very complex. Uh, she let him have it in this one. She, you've, you've already touched a few, but at one point she was like, your sick game of giving love and taking it away. Like she gave it to Johnny May on this. Um, and, and I love both of these guys. And it it's tough to hear when you know it's about John Mayer because not my Johnny, my Johnny would never do something like that. But <laughs> it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. And I laugh at myself for not realizing that it was uh, about John Mayer. Um, Taylor, oof. hot tea take Taylor. 
If you're too young to get in the game, don't get in the game, girl. You knew you were 19 messing with Johnny May. That's how that goes. I gotta have I gotta have oh, my bag. <laughs> the, the, the Swifties are gonna come for you. They're saying uh, he groomed her and all this. Uh, I, well, see, I, I don't know any of that, but what I'm saying is John Mayer's a stand-up gentleman. <laughs> and I, I'm I, not I, sure he was at this point in time. He has a checkered relationship history, period. Not just I, with No, I, I know, I know. Yeah. I, so, some of that is in jest, but it's really yes. tough to hear this breakup song of all breakup songs because i like i, I love both these guys you know uh they're 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 both great artists and it, it's tough to hear it's very complex so people that say that it's not uh, i'm right with you it is it is something that she poured her heart out and i'm glad she took seven minutes to do it in all honesty and i'm a hundred percent where we started of there is no no time wasted here at all uh, it's a good one. It's it's yes. a powerful song. But as great it, it, as it, of a song as it is, remember people, as Taylor Swift, is, before performing this as a surprise song, she told her fans, don't defend me over something that happened a long time ago and please leave people alone. So... <laughs> You're you trying to save me or John Mayer? <laughs> uh, more, more so John Mayer in this case. He actually... The, uh, he posted on his Instagram a photo of a fireworks display saying, please be kind the day of this album's release. I love it. I love and, it. And uh, I'm not going to lie. Some <laughs> of the comments were hysterical. Uh. <laughs> but um, just remember, people, uh, do not cross the line in your harassment. I've heard of people giving the man death threats. Let's not go there not cool and remember these people are celebrities you don't know them personally they are not your friends in fact let's pin that thought because later on this album our one and only taylor swift teaches us how to do that the most beautiful way ever so let's pin that up there for right now yes yes but um i'm guessing that um later is not our next song because uh, we got some more we got some more put downs in us um, yeah. with our next song, which is Mean. Uh, this was one of the bigger hits off this album back in the day. It wasn't a, I don't remember it being like huge, but it got rotation. But I definitely first heard this song on Glee because I did watch okay. that at a point in, at a point in time. Not sure I could rewatch it um, knowing what we know now about some of the people on that show, but curiously how did they frame the song in glee as far as the narrative of all i remember was that the coach sang it that's okay. all i remember i haven't okay. watched the show in a long time and uh not sure i'll be able to rewatch it because way too much baggage with one series i'm not gonna say it's cursed i think that's silly but a lot going on there but um Enough about Glee. We're going to talk about the song because she wasn't thinking of Glee when she wrote the song. No, this song, um, it's widely believed it's about one critic in particular, a guy named Bob Lefsetz. He had a blog back in 2010 and um, he wrote a not nice review of Taylor Swift's 2010 Grammy performance with Stevie Nicks. He was not a fan and he criticized her weak vocals. And let's be real, she's not, was not given the best voice she had a pretty limited range coming in 
she's gotten much better over time and she's always said like I'm a songwriter first my voice is just how I put my songs out there like hmm. she she said that like she knows she's like she knows that she wouldn't have won American Idol she's aware of that and um but it just goes to show you it doesn't always have to be like that to make good music you don't have to be the American Idol winner so and uh yeah, these put-downs are pretty straightforward. Like, they kind of sound like Kitty insults, like, someday I'll be living in a big old city and all you're ever gonna be is mean and a liar and pathetic and alone. And, but you know what? You can't get mad at this song. It's just a really, it's the most country song here, but I love it. I love the instrumentation of it all. I love the banjos and the fiddles. It's just a fun song and I think in its own way it fits in with a trope in pop music of the time, which was that empowerment song. We talked about that before on our um, Lady Gaga episode, Born This Way. This is kind of her version of that or firework in the country way to be doing that and uh, I think that's a pretty cool thing and uh, I mean you know what the song it it we're all this is one of those songs we all know somebody like this we all do and that's why it resonates all this time later i think yeah well that's why i asked how it was framed in glee because for me oh that coach did i'm remembering it now that coach um was not well received by the student body at all because so they just, but it was I'm yeah. sorry. It was criticism, though, right? So, yes. like, see, for me, this fits as a I'll see you later, too. See, because she has already got my mind in so much love, 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 lost, first love, you know, we're talking about all different types of love. When we get here, I'm immediately thinking that she's singing this to a lover, an ex-lover that she's leaving behind. Like, I'm going to be in big cities. I'm going to be doing my thing. And I feel like it works like that, too. It wasn't until I found, uh, you know, by by reading up on it, that it was about a critic that I was like, oh, that makes sense. But you're right, because with that banjo and fiddle, and second of all, stop reading my notes, because I don't have much to say after you say everything I've written down. But, I mean, the, the banjo and fiddle in this are so powerful. They're perfect because it is. It's that. I almost said mean girl, <laughs> but it's that empowered lady kick your butt kind of thing in this country form. And what better instrumentation to have behind you than a banjo and a fiddle at this point? This is a, another cool, fun one. Like this one is on the level of speak now to me as far as the, the funness of it. Uh, I really enjoyed this one. I enjoyed it when she was yelling at some dude, but now that I know she's yelling at a critic and you know, it still lives to this day because look at all the trolls. We live in the land of trolls, you know? So yep. it, it's there. This is the song to all the trolls out there. And I love it even more because of it. Yes, it is always going to be relevant, I'm, I'm afraid. So yeah. all, all you damn trolls. But um, she, she's going to be going back to talking about a troll we've already discussed on this album in Taylor's mind. Uh, we're back to old Johnny Boy with the story of us. And because she, uh, we have figured it's about him because she said in an interview that 
this song was about the same person Dear John was about. She did say that back in the day, apparently. So that kind of narrows it down a bit. Um, but uh, it was actually inspired by their encounter at an award show, which is very real. It's not real life for everybody, but being two music industry professionals, that's something that will happen. You will run into each other at events. And um, so I feel like what's interesting about this song to me is it's a very somber song lyrically. I mean, the course, it's the story of us looks a lot like a tragedy now. Like this could have been some great, like gentle acoustic country ballad. It it has that vibe to it, but no, this is Taylor going pop punk, actually. That's the main kind of thing we're going for here. It's got those punchy, really punchy guitars and big chorus. And the, yeah, pop punk is not my genre at all. But I do really enjoy this song a lot, actually. I've always loved the delivery, especially the spoken word next chapter. Love it. Um and I just, I like the juxtaposition of the music and the lyrics. I think it works really well. It, it does indeed. I mean, right from the start for me on this one, um, because this intro, it, this song in its whole, I, I, I won't do the intro just yet. This song in its whole for me is an evolution of her on this album. Um, it's very close to a midpoint. It's the number seven, so it's already my favorite track, but this is really, in my opinion, an evolution. And right here in this intro, we get a look at it, and it's a very quick look, but I think it's a very powerful look because right from the start, we get the heavy drum, and we get this powerful, distorted guitar, but then quickly. So this anger when she's walking into this room is where I'm taking it. And then very quickly, it seamlessly goes right back into that banjo and just a single bass drum, which is that country girl. So she goes angry and then maybe composes herself just a tad before yelling here. Uh, I, I really, I love that, that these little nuances are inside of this composition and they're very well done. I must say, and, and all the joking I did before, uh, about her and John Mayer. This is a very true heartbreak song. In fact, I cried on one of the listens. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not afraid to say that. I cried on one of the listens of this one because it's very eloquently put and it's sad. And in fact, and I'll say it, she loved John Mayer. And I'll say that with all confidence because of this song right here. Um but I do love the spoken word. Uh, I love that next chapter and the end at the end. Uh, yeah. It's very, it's very point to fact. But this is this is a very heartbreaking song, uh, in my opinion. And I love the way it's packaged. I think this is one of the genius songs on this album for me. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really, I really dig this one. Yeah, um, I will say I think because of the pop punk sound, kind of it from the original. I do think it's lost some of that youthful bite to it. Nerd. But as we said, it's still a brilliant composition and a fantastic song. And that is a nitpick um, here. I don't... Yeah, that that's just me being nitpicky. But as we said, the quest for quality is ruthless. But um, 
We're going to take a really big turn after that one uh, with our next song, which is um, Never Grow Up. I think the title kind of gives away what the song's about. It's about childhood and growing up too fast. I think it's really neat how it's kind of done from three different um, vantage points. Like, at first, it's like the young mother. Then it's kind of like she's singing to a teenager. Like, yeah, your mom might be embarrassing you, but don't make her drop you off around the block. That's my favorite of the verses, actually. I think that was a... And then we get to her kind of current fame, famous Taylor Swift, like, here I am in my new apartment, wishing I'd never grown up. And um, just... I think this is kind of a love it or hate it song. This is a song that I think somebody could easily say this is so just trackly or whatever, but um, I find that, if anything, I find it more affecting now coming from 32, 33-year-old Taylor Swift than I do 20-year-old Taylor Swift. It just hits different, pun intended, for the Midnight's fans out there. Um, uh, yeah, I do think, like, this could this have been on one of the albums before? Yeah, I don't think it has, like, the steps ahead in songwriting that we get on some of the prior songs here, but I do think that it's a, I, this, I'm a sucker for a touching song like this one. I do find the song to be moving. I am with you on so many, so many different pieces of what you just said but one that i have to disagree is i feel like it fits a hundred percent here because this this in my interpretation is her sending a letter to herself um this is what she should have said to herself and she didn't in those two years and now i'm gonna go off on a tangent and you've touched some of this but i am truly fascinated by this song okay i for me when i started listening to this song i heard it at i heard the song as a parent singing to their daughter but like you said by the third verse when she starts this awesome strumming pattern right and then starts to talk and really rem like telling herself to remember little key things about life and you're like wait a minute and then boom she starts going in the first person and literally i was dumbfounded because this beautiful song that I was imagining myself sing to my daughter uh, as she grows up becomes a self-exploration narrative. And I didn't even see it coming. And I, 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 I'm floored at this point. Uh, and it just, it gets more powerful, uh, you know, because she's now singing. And I now realize that she's singing it to herself. Uh, and then boom, like a wave it hits me that the underlying fact of all this is she's playing a solo acoustic song. And I didn't realize it until I found, I figured out that it was a self exploration or a self narrative. And it, it, it blew my mind. This is a, another one that I'll put genius on, on this one. I am fascinated by this song. I've probably listened to this song like 12, 15 times uh, since, since we started going at it. And it's found its way into my my playlist because this one, not even just as a father of a daughter, just as a musician and and a lover of music. Period. This is a oh, chef's kiss on this one, man. Like you, you look at singer songwriter, especially self written stuff. This is 
this is top tier, top tier stuff. Blown away by this song. Absolutely. I yes. And um, but well, spoiler alert, we're gonna get uh blown away in a different way, as in swept off our feet with the next song, which is Enchanted. Um, in her new prologue for this album, Taylor called this her most wistfully romantic song. And uh I mean I'm finding it hard to argue with that one, frankly. Um this is kind of a love at first sight song i guess you could say that's really the best way and um it's it's over the top like in its way but that's definitely intentional and i think this is the song i was referring to when i say i think we get that epic love song much better here than we did on sparks fly because we're really this is an almost six minute song and uh, she's just created this majestic song that's really the best word i can use to describe i mean this night is sparkling indeed <laughs> yeah yeah i it, it's we're at a part in the album where maybe it's just because i'm coming from song to song but like they're all starting to really just blow me away at this point um this one not as much as never grow up but this one was another one where it was that whisper and bring the listener closer that I always talk about for me at first on this one. But when I actually start to realize that that whisper is just the start of this conversation that she's having with herself after a night of, you said it perfectly. And I didn't even put those words in here, but a love at first sight, but in this fact, it's a love at first sight. And then you walk away from it and, and stay up thinking about it, you know? Yeah. Um, then that whisper grows. And, and as it's the beginning of this thought slash conversation, it matches with the composition. And as this thought slash conversation spins and spirals, you know, how, how we do sometimes when, when we're in these situations, the composition follows it. And I love that. Um, it really picks up momentum and crescendos with the thought. And I, I, I think that it, it, it's perfect there. Hot tea take. For me, this could have been a midnight's thought because it's that late night thought process and I think it fits there. This maybe is the first look at, at those that thought process as far as the midnight stuff goes. Um, but this one, I really enjoyed this one. I mean, it's not a coincidence that uh, this is, you know, of any of the songs, this might be the most beloved song on the album. Um, This was actually the only song from this album that I heard at the Eras tour. Um, Really? Yeah. And uh, a lot of that, actually, this song is very, is quite popular on TikTok. So oh, okay. I'm sure that played a big part in her putting it on the set list. And it's always been, it was never a single. It was never on the radio, but it's always been a really well-regarded song. And in fact, her fragrance that she released in 2011 is called Wonderstruck. Obviously, that comes from this song. So it's always been a really well-regarded song. But uh, now it's time for Who's the Song About? And uh, this is this is a, a very indifferent one, um, to say the least. So, um... The media, after this song, of course, they're wondering, who's it about? And a lot of people pick the musician, but not John Mayer, not 
Harry Styles, he wasn't really around yet, but not somebody you would have thought of with Taylor Swift immediately. It was um a guy named Adam Young, who is also known as Al City, which is an electronic music project that had a had a brief moment in 2009, 2010. Um they 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 had their thing and uh um well apparently like they met one time and um I guess Adam Young thought it was him and he recorded a response cover to the song. And um oh uh it, it it's um I, I'm I'm gonna say it, Adam buddy, it's not good. <laughs> it's pretty cringy actually. It makes Fireflies sound like a Beatles song. Um <laughs> It it that that's where we're going here, folks. It's not good, but um and uh she never confirmed or denied whether it was about him and she did not respond to the song and uh I mean that was probably the right thing to do, frankly. He might have got his little heart crushed, but uh oh somebody should have advised him differently on that. I think they probably should have told him, buddy. She's dating John Mayer. This year, it's not you. It, it's sorry, you gotta. You're fireflies, I man. <laughs> I don't know, man. I I have to say, uh, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So, Adam, kudos to you for shooting your shot at, at Taylor. Taylor, you're a classy lady, and you, with your no response, said enough, and that was perfect. Um, but yeah, Adam shot you shot your shot buddy <laughs> and that's how it goes definitely uh, did over a really bad synth line he did it man, it is a, it is a weird listen to say the least and I, I feel like the cringiness for me comes from like taking the exact lyrics out yes. <laughs> and 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 reworking them to be like i love you <laughs> basically yes. i met uh, you one cringy. time but i love you but i mean shoot your shot brother unfortunately this one missed but you shot it, man. You shot it. So kudos to you. <laughs> <laughs> you you did your thing. Um, yeah. What what a note to end enchanted on. But uh <laughs> I will say that no response is um not not really something we'll be getting with this next song. This one is all all drama. This one is better than revenge. I'm actually I wanna hear your thoughts on this song first. So my first notes on this, for me, this was the real first time I registered pop punk on this album. And that's my first notes on this pop punk on this album with a question mark and an exclamation point, because I wasn't expecting it and I didn't see it coming. Um, this is definitely, I'll say in my opinion, but I think it's pretty much right there. This is the other side of that coin, that innocent, sweet, swift coin that that we're all akin to. This is... This is the mean girls side of her. Um, I have to say this composition and we you, you touched on a little bit earlier. It's just not my it's not necessarily my favorite genre of music, period. Um, but this composition itself is a little cookie cutter to me. And if, if it wasn't for her and her lyrical prowess and really and and in my opinion, the production of these quote unquote mean girl thoughts being overlaid in the background of the track in almost this like Valley girl style. Um, I feel like that's what like her 
lyrical prowess and that production make this song. But without that, this composition is pretty cookie cutter and hot tea take what I come to expect from machine made pop punk. Yeah, that, you know, that, that is a fair take. Um, uh, uh, This is a song with quite a loaded history, actually behind it. Okay. That that is, I looked at I couldn't find the history on this one. I I, oh. I knew most of the stuff you had said, but I couldn't figure it out. And then I tried to remember, like, is this the Selena Gomez stuff or whatever it was when they, like, made two groups or maybe I'm no, messing. Th- this right, is right. before Selena Gomez. It's, um, okay. So, um, this song is allegedly about the actress Camilla Bell, who dated Joe Jonas after he david taylor swift and um it's the song she's pretty much saying this woman stole her man and uh, she's um so uh in the song back in 2010 the song um after the first line of the chorus she's not a saint and she's not what you think she's an actress the original line was She's better known for the things that she does on the mattress. Oh, yeah. Go on. <laughs> I mean, why not leave it all on there if you're going to do the mean girl take, you know? Well, um, so because this is such a mean girl song, there were people at the time, they accused Taylor of slut shaming in this song. And I mean, come on. That's definitely, it's a valid criticism. I mean, and Charlie's it's real. Reaction. I think it's real yeah. for, coming from a twenty-year-old, but it's a valid criticism. Charlie's reacting to my, the the crumbling of my face while he says that, but I, you know, it, I don't know. I just feel like we give power to people on that stuff. Am I saying that slut shaming isn't real? No. Am I saying that she wasn't saying some some hardcore shit here <laughs> as a twenty-year-old? Yes, but. No way is she saying stuff that like anywhere near as risque as Alanis Morissette was saying on Ironic or you know like shit like that you know it, it don't don't start beating her up she at least didn't say she's not as bitter as Alanis though. <laughs> uh, stay tuned for Alanis on this podcast spoiler alert it's coming this year just wanted to say that now but there you go. Back to this song. Um, yeah, Camilla Bell still had some thoughts on this song, like as of 2016, actually. She was commenting on this, so she was not happy about it. And a few years later, I'm not remembering the exact year, Taylor was asked about this song, and she said, I realize now that a woman would not like Nobody would steal a man. If somebody wants to leave, they will leave. I know that's a silly concept. And with that, she pretty much disowned this song. She's never performed it live since the tour for this album. Not even as a surprise song. Almost every song gets performed. And she's pretty much... I mean, it seems like she pretty much disowned this song. Because it doesn't reflect her worldview. And because of that, there were a lot of people thinking... Is she even going to include it on the re-recording? There were people thinking she might remove it because it's been pretty much disowned. Well, she didn't, but then there were people wondering, is she going to change the lyrics? And 
She did. The line, the mattress line is now, he was a moth to the flame. She was holding the matches. And uh, I mean, this song's obviously nostalgic for some people. I heard the original at the tailgate I went to before my Eras Tour sh show, and I straight up heard one young lady say, the feminism goes out the door for this song. <laughs> she's young, though. I mean, you know, yeah. she's 18, 20. It, yeah. This but, is, it... but I still think that the new line works just fine, too. Like, it no. wasn't lazy. It works just fine. And also, a lot of people are saying, like, this song sounds better than it did back then. It's not quite as cookie-cutter pop-punk now as it was even back Ooh. in the day, but this that. is that moment, and uh, it's not even a sound that she's returned to since, frankly, and that's for the best, but I do think it's one that a lot of people like, and uh, it was definitely an influence on this album, for better I mean, or for worse. Yeah, I mean, class points to her for never playing it. Class points to to her for switching the lyrics. I'm misunderstood you and and i thought you said originally she had written it and this was the original lyrics no. uh but but and so i could see i guess where people got up in arms but kudos to her for still putting it on here um yeah. because even you know we we're all we're all human and we we all have the propensity to get into a moment where we let our anger get the best of us um, yes <laughs> but what we choose to do going forward with that anger uh, in this case, not play the song and switch the the, the lyric is is what defines us rather than the song. So, go on, girl. You you know, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if the feminism goes out the door at that point. You know, she, in fact, knows exactly who she is, and she's not. She's gonna say sorry in so many words or actions for for this song, but she's not gonna act like it never happened, which I think is is huge. Well, also, let's note that in 2010, um, she wasn't making statements on feminism or any Heard. social stuff because pretty much she was told not to, actually. Um, we learned that in her documentary. They said, if you talk about this stuff, you're going to end up like the Dixie Chicks, canceled. And so she didn't do it for, she didn't speak on any of this kind of stuff until 2018, and now she touches on it in her songs, and but she's had a lot of time to grow and think in that time. And uh, I mean, I just it, that I think is what raises a lot of questions. It's like she's come out and now she's done these songs like Mad Woman off of Folklore or The Man off of Lover, where she's commenting on double standards that women face. And yet in the past, we have Better Than Revenge. I think that's why it's so noteworthy to people. I'll say that. Hear that. But, you know, it's how people evolve. It's, uh... Yeah. But, um... So it's interesting. Camilla Bell got that bratty pop-punk song here, but if if there was any person that um people were associating with Taylor Swift uh, circa 2010 that you would have thought would have gotten a hardcore diss track against them, you would have thought it would have been the man who interrupted her at the VMAs to say Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. But uh, instead, Taylor wrote the next song, which is Innocent. Uh, if you couldn't tell, this song is definitely about Kanye West. Um, and uh, it, I feel like it's kind of 
portrayed as a more sympathetic look, like she's saying you're still an innocent kind of like you don't know any better, Kanye. Um, I think that was kind of her point. I'm not gonna lie, this one's always been a skip for me, and it still is. Um, this song did get criticism for being kind of patronizing. I can definitely see that point, but musically, I just don't think it goes anywhere. It, it's a really lightweight, empty composition for me. It goes on for too long, and um, frankly, at this point in time, it just hasn't aged well because so much has happened with Kanye since this time. I mean, this was before the days of anti-Semitic tweets, and I made that bitch famous, but it, it just hasn't held up. Some are interpreting it as her singing to herself, which I think is a neat way to look at it, but I still don't really care for the song. I I have to say, I wish Kanye would listen to this song right now. And if there's one line in it that I think I would like him to really hear, it's that today is never too late to be brand new. And this is why I said, let's pin this forgiveness thought earlier, because this is this is high class, man. This is this is actually this is high humanity right here for me. Um, and just in what she's saying here alone, I don't necessarily I don't necessarily, in my opinion, take it as he doesn't know any better. It's more of her, even at this young age, having whatever grasp she could have about maturing and growing older and knowing that even though society might say 32, you know, you, you got to be at this level. It's all really just the way that the person grows. And it's never, uh, you know, it's never too late to change yourself. I think, I wish I would have wrote written it down but she says something akin to like it's not where you've been it's who you are uh and it, it really it, it struck me it struck me because this almost unconditional forgiveness inside of this mo the most cringeworthy moment that i can remember in 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 any awards show maybe maybe just under uh will smith slapping chris rock you know and, and so it's huge for her especially on, on this album where she's outing lovers and and really speaking her mind christ we're coming right off better than revenge and she says you know what this is the guy i want to forgive this is the guy i want to say never too late to turn it around and i i think that that's huge as far as this one musically if it wasn't, this is the second time I've said it on, on this album, but if it wasn't for the rhythm of her vocals, I feel like this song is is exactly what you were saying. Like, it just, it goes nowhere. But I really love the fact that later on, instead of the drums pushing the syncopation here, it's really carried by her, by her and, and the rhythm of her vocals. And I that's the only thing other than the forgiveness vibe that really sticks the landing on this song for me. I love the forgiveness. I love the syncopation. Not my favorite song in the album, but kudos to you, girl, for turning the other cheek because, you know, it. it I, I'll say it again. I know a lot of people that couldn't. So good for you yeah. on this one. This is the most powerful time for you in the in the eye of the the fans to turn your cheek and say, gotcha. Nah, Kanye, it's all good. 
You know, you're just another artist caught up in the stuff. Oh, that was the other line where she even says like, uh, I'm paraphrasing again, but like uh, fame is this tightrope and it's really hard sometimes. You know, she really gives him the benefit of the doubt throughout this. I got to give it to you, Tay Tay. I love it. Well, I love unfortunately, it. it's debatable if that worked out for her based on <laughs> everything that happened later. But, you know, it's crazy to me in hindsight to think this was such a huge deal at the time. I mean, President Barack Obama called Kanye West a jackass for her interrupting Taylor Swift. It was that big of a deal. Rightfully so. He he, he definitely effed up. And he, whether he will say it out loud, I hope that somewhere in his heart he knows that he effed up. He had to have a well, I won't go down that route. But yeah, he, he effed I, up. I, I don't, he's done a lot worse since then these past five or six years if you ask me but that is well, not a discussion i want to have frankly there, because there i'm going to get really fired up so and i i feel you i feel you it is but well, all we can take away is turn the other cheek thank you taylor for that no i say fuck kanye that's what i say <laughs> i'm sorry i love it no i mean it dude i'm not trying to stir your pot on this one because i know where I mean, it goes seriously what would a you, piece of shit. I don't say that about many people, but... Would you, would you say that you were haunted by his antics? <laughs> I, I think you could say so, but uh, that's not what she was haunted by on our next song, which is haunted. Um, The most goth Taylor Swift song ever. Um, And um, she described this as being about realizing the person that you love is drifting from you. And that's just so anxiety-inducing. So she has this... That's why she wanted the whole orchestra with it. And uh, we get that here. I will say, the, so the strings originally were conducted by Paul Buckmaster, who's a really good composer. Um, I'm not sure if he did them here. I'm guessing not. I don't like them quite as much, but they're still very well done. And... um. This is the one song here I actually prefer her vocal on the original because I think the original just has that youthful energy that this song is conveying. I don't think it's quite as well conveyed here, but I still think this is a really cool song. I'm nitpicking. I think it's so well put together and um, just a totally different sound for her. This was not something you would have expected from taylor swift and it's not really something we've gotten since actually but it's a really cool experiment and just a neat song all around that's really all the best i can say about it one of the most interesting tunes she has super interesting uh the strings i love the strings but this i had come this far in the album and, and wasn't going back and forth so i have to go and check them out again but i really do love the way the strings are set in this the single snare and that piano at the start here i love them it's such an awesome pairing it's one of my favorites uh musically so i was brought in by that i really and again i have to check it on on the other one because i love her vocals here this is that falsetto uh top to bottom that i love that she does um for instance or, or in this one it's the i thought i had you figured you know i love that i love that jump the ability to jump that high and come back down 
is is not easy and she kills it and again it's the rhythm of of her singing that really takes it to the next level for me um and and even the fact that those notes are mimicking the strings slash piano throughout the song and i love that as well uh this is really a, you said it the best an interesting song i i dig this one so do i but uh we're, we're taking the turn away from the golf and into our sad singer songwriter mode with our next song Last Kiss. It's a post-breakup song about realizing you've had your last kiss with that person. Um, I think this is a really pretty song, and it's got a lot of those little details that make it feel more real, like wearing your clothes, July night, the smell of the rain, your face at 158, that kind of stuff. Um, on that level, I've got nothing but respect for this song, but I'm not gonna lie, this is not one that I seek out individually a lot, and that's just because this is a sad song. She called it her saddest song. I'm not sure if it's quite that. There have been contenders since, but it's a long, sad song. And uh, I'm just, I'm not in the mood to cry every day, girl. That's why I'm not going back to this every day. It's a beautiful song, but it, it's just, it's just really depressing, frankly. <laughs> I breathe a sigh of relief on this one because I thought this was going to be one of those beloved songs that I was coming in. Oh, it's song, beloved by many. Yeah, I and I, oh, they all are, but this one—it's a beautiful composition. She does well with the symbolism, but it, it this one drags for me. It's 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 a little bit too long. It's a nice composition. I will only say nice things about Taylor, and this one is uh, it's it's oh it's okay, girl. It's all right. You know, I feel I understand it. I understand where it's coming from. I understand where it's coming from being the penultimate track on on, on the original album, and I, I can feel the pacing. It's just it hangs around a little bit too long for me. Maybe it is the sadness too, but I didn't I didn't equate the sadness in my notes. Just hangs around for a little bit too long for me. Yeah. Uh one thing I will say after this album, she has definitely gotten better with length and telling her stories in a more concise manner. But I you know, I think the length of these songs is representative of where she was and where anyone is at that age. You think you know everything and every word you have to say is so important. That's how you are college age, frankly. <laughs> yeah, and she very rarely has misses the, you know, we talk about sticking right. a landing, but she very rarely misses that landing, even if she goes on for a good six, seven minute song, which we see throughout here. Um, you know, it, it, you're right. It's that it's that younger, that younger moxie. Uh, and she does. She reigns that in throughout her career from what I've found yeah. uh, through through our lessons. No, that, that is one good thing I think about her officially going pop. It made her write shorter songs, cause, and I think that helped her a lot, even in terms of just being a singer-songwriter, as we saw later on. But uh, we're still in those early days, and we're at the uh, standard editions of the, of the album's original closing track, which is Long Live. Um, this one is dedicated to her fans that attend her shows. And... Um, it's definitely a gala fantasy elements. I've had the time of my life fighting dragons with you. Um, 
This one definitely has the most like arena rock sound to it. I've heard that used to describe a few songs on this album, but none more so than this one. It does have that grandeur to it. Um, I mean, I like this song is anthemic, and in that regard, I love it. And uh, it's a beloved song by fans for an obvious reason because it's about them. And but what's really interesting about this song, despite all its anthemic qualities um one of the highlights of her netflix reputation tour special is she performed this song as a mashup with a piano song off of reputation called new year's day and we hear this just on the piano and it's still such a strong composition and i think that seeing her perform on just those acoustic instruments live shows how sturdy these songs are and this is another example of it. Just take the grandeur away from it. It's a beautifully written song. I don't think it's one that she'd write today, but it's definitely representative of this place and time. And, um, well, it's now been added to the Eras Tour set list, it looks like. So, still a Ooh. beloved song. Um, well, I mean, that being said, I gotta ask, is it an encore? Because this no. was an encore song for me. No. This, this is a beautiful anthem for the end of an album. For, oh, I yeah. mean, especially, like you said, time, place, it encapsulates everything that a young artist is. And I think, again, I give, I give her all types of flowers. I'm constantly throwing flowers at this lady. But, like, for a 20-year-old, 18 to 20-year-old artist to be writing this symbolic of an anthem for her fans just it's it's top it's it's major league shit right here and you can't you can't uh, you could strip it down like you said and it's still a solid song but this is just that feel good piece to end an album i could see people coming off this album in 2010 being like oh yeah oh Uh, yeah and you know and that's that's what it was meant to do yeah but um funny enough back in the day initially at least if you bought a cd from target you got free bonus tracks and um so preface now one of those bonus tracks is actually not included here because it was the one song on the album that had a co-writer the song is called if this was a movie she released it as a standalone her re-recording of it as a standalone single right before the eras tour started and um she now counts it as part of the fearless era because she wanted this Taylor's version to actually truly be every song only written by her. So as a result, we don't get that song here. Uh, so, but we, we still have two more to go for this segment of this episode. So um, the first one we've got is ours. And uh, this one fans ate up so much that it actually became a single in 2011. It was the fifth single sent the radio. Um, and uh, it's just, it's really about a couple trying to tough it out despite the scrutiny. I feel like she's just foreshadowing the Joe Alwyn relationship that we hear about on Midnight's like 10 years earlier almost. But um, I, I think this is a cute song. That's what I will say. It has a nice little bounce to it. It's very light. I don't think it's the most substantial thing we are gonna we've heard on this album, and I can see why it was chosen as a bonus track. It's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. It's just a little too flowery for me, I guess. It's not one I go back to a lot. 
Yeah, I can see how they could call it out for a fifth single though, and and I oh it, yeah, it shines like that. I'm a sucker for a good fan brush on a snare. I love that laid back feel that it automatically gives me as a listener. Um, I, I you know you you talked about the playfulness or or the cuteness of this, I, and one of my notes was I love the way that she gets her chuckles in the composition, like she gets to laugh inside of it. Uh, this is pure young love for me. This is a love that's gonna try to overcome anything thrown its way and i'm a sucker for that too as as if you're a long-time listener you know i'm a, I'm a hopeless romantic so it hits but yeah it's a bonus track at, at you know at, end of fifth single uh a cool song but not something that belonged up on the album and kudos to them for realizing that you know yes and uh now we've got the other bonus track we're going to discuss today um one of the most maligned songs in Taylor Swift's discography, Superman. Um, uh, it, it's believed this song's about John Mayer, so about better times in their relationship if she watched Superman fly away. Um, so I remember, I actually remember where I was when I first heard this song. It was back in a few while ago. It was a my freshman year of college, I heard this at a CVS in Salisbury, Maryland, and it stuck out to me. It's like, what is this? Because I was a huge 1989 fan, but I didn't go into anything else because that album was all I could listen to for months. I'm not kidding. There, and it's like, what's... I watched Superman fly away. I'm like, this song, it, it's catchy, but it's stupid. But something about it endeared me in a way. And um, since then, I would say this, um, before we get to this re-recording, this was a guilty pleasure Taylor Swift song for me. Uh, like, is it a big, dumb, stupid song? Yes, it is. She's talking about her boyfriend being Superman. I mean, it's pretty lightweight and silly, but that's part of the charm of it for me. I know I dogged ours for that, kind of, but this is silly in a different way. Like, go save the world, I'll be at your side. Um, but now, funny story, this re-recording comes. I think this is the most improved song from the original. I was shocked. I was like, just the production is so much better this time around. I was like, blown away by it. I was like, how is Superman the biggest <laughs> upgrade of all the songs on the album? And I'm not the only person saying that. And of course, all the closet or not closet Superman fans are coming out online saying Superman's a banger and all the fans better admit it now. Um, what, what do you think of Superman? I wasn't really uh, captivated by it. I thought it literally... And I my notes are very rarely this short but my exact notes for this were power ballad cool story <laughs> it just it didn't hit me it didn't hit me musically um i could see i i can try to see that the the production was better this time it's it that's here's the thing i didn't enjoy about it it felt overproduced and it felt like it was like Bush League Taylor. Like, even though it's a cool story and 
it's 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 neat don't get me wrong you know and and it it has that beautiful happy feel of like i'll be here waiting for you no matter what superman in fact i listened to it three times the second time i went back to see if it was about like a daughter singing it to a father um, some people think that oh really possibly. Oh, see, I, felt, I felt like there were lines in there that really shot that down but it just I don't know, man. It felt like Bush League Taylor. It felt like second-rate Taylor symbolism. It felt like it was too on the nose. And for me, it was just one of her weaker stories as far as Oh, it definitely is, but that's why it's a guilty pleasure. And I loved when you said guilty pleasure because I was like, I can dig that because it's not my favorite, but I can see where a Taylor aficionado would be like you know what i that's my joint i keep on the side and don't talk to anybody about i see that i can see that 100 percent. yeah and maybe it, it garners another listen for me but it, it just didn't hit me right uh as far as this high bar and again we talk about this retroactive bar you know i've got today's taylor bar and i'm looking back at 18 to 20 year old taylor so I got. I got to give. But I do have one more question for you. You have to. Wouldn't you expect Superman to be overproduced after all his time in the DC extended universe? I I feel you. I I mean, (laughs) I I guess we could reach there and say it's a superpowered production, but (laughs) I, I, it's just a little bit too overpowered. It got close to a Lex uh, Luthor type of deal (laughs) rather than a Superman. In, in this, this should be in the next Superman movie soundtrack. Well, they need to lighten up a bit over there. So you know what? This could be the uh, this could be the main theme for a Lois Lane story. How about that? <laughs> I mean, this is Lois Lane singing it. They could. <laughs> they could. They're doing jo- the next Joker's going to be a musical. We can do it with Superman, maybe. You know. There you go. There you go. <laughs> you gotta talk to James. Hey, Lois has got to make a comeback because what Aquaman has Amber Turd in it. I mean, come on. <laughs> I tell you, you uh, you gotta talk to James Gunn. I think he has other plans than a musical, but we'll see. <laughs> James Gunn, Superman, Taylor's version. <laughs> I know you have good taste in music because of your Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. So I I think. I think he uh he loves a good cheesy pop song. Yeah, that's the title for the movie too, except not Taylor's version, Superman Lois's version. There you go. See, we're <laughs> ra- we're writing it already. <laughs> yes. But th- this will be the hooked on the feeling of uh, the next Superman movie. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But Great uh, <laughs> uh enough enough riffing about Superman. So um we're now at the the kind of end of the album as we're going to do it today, because in total we have 22 songs here. So what we're going to do next time is do a mini episode of you where we discuss the six from the vault songs, all songs that never were never before released and um, recorded for this album and being released to the public for the first time. So. To us, for unless you were diehard listening to unreleased demos, these are brand new songs. So I think that's one of the very coolest things about the, this re-recording project is she's going into this vault and 
bringing out these other songs from the sessions that just didn't make it in the last time because you're writing so many songs per album. Not everything's going to get heard. You got to trim it down. So, and, uh, you know, that's where we ask our questions about, like, is it best that we're getting it now? Should have been on it then? Who knows? But we're going to discuss that next time because we think it needs its own thing. But in the meantime... We're going to do our usual thing with just uh, with these 16 songs here, and you can include the others too in your overall assessment. But uh, what is your grade for the album? I'm this grade was without Vault. I'm going to let Vault be its own thing. And just uh, to reiterate what Charlie was saying, we're going to we're going to publish our normal one that you're listening to right now, and then within like a day or two, we're going to have this mini one uh pop out as well so it won't be a full week in between like our usual episodes um but i'm yeah i'm gonna leave i'm gonna leave them all out of this grading um and i'm i'm i've already spoken to this this high bar that i give this lady but for us to get a re-recorded version of her 18 to 20 year old thoughts and for me to be blown away from I mean, start to finish, really. There, If I say there's a misstep, it's like we've been saying throughout this nitpicking. Like, yeah, you might have heard me say not my favorite on the album, but if you're a first-time listener, you, I'll let you know that that doesn't mean I think it's a terrible song. And if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that that's just something we like to do, you know, to give a little bit of range on this. But there is no place in this that i feel is is an empty spot the pacing we didn't even talk about pacing because and a lot of the times we don't it's because it's so seamless and flawless this album listens so easy it flows through I, like i said i've listened to it almost 15 times and it, it just it, it goes and goes and goes i can only imagine listening to this back in 2010 but listening to it now i have to give it an a um am i in love with taylor swift and that's why i keep giving her all these a's no (laughs) but i am in love with this artist that i'm learning throughout these these listens and whether it be from the back of the catalog to the front or the front to the back i can't take away from what she laid down on this album as an 18 to 20 year old artist. And now going back and tuning it up uh, and crisping the production and, and just doing it all again. Kudos to you, lady. You deserve an A on this one. Yep. I unsurprisingly have the same grade for it. Uh, <laughs> she She's always just known how to construct just a really strong front to back album. Um, We've seen that before on this show when we covered Folklore and Midnight's. Go listen to those if you haven't already. And uh, again, and I think it really is a testament to, yes, she was young when she wrote these songs, but they still are so sturdy that they hold up all this time later being sung by a more mature woman. Like, it's still okay for the woman who did these more cynical songs since, I guess you could say, to go back to this more optimistic, idealistic viewpoint. And uh, it's all part of the evolution. And I think it's truly fascinating 
what we're getting here. And um, are there albums that I've over time come to like more albums that have been released since this one? Yes, there are. But this is a very important part of her journey, and it's not one that can be overlooked. And uh, for that, that's why I think it's so important that we're here discussing it today. Um, so uh, with that being said, what is your track pick favorite song? Never Grow Up. Solely on the fact that I was blown away and just flabbergasted by her ability to weave this this tale. It, it, it is my favorite on, on the album. Yeah, um, mine is Story of Us. There you go. I just, I love that punchiness to it with the heartbreak narrative. It just works so well. And uh, it's a combination that she's done over and over again, and that she does it well every time, and uh, just a real winner. And I'm not that pop punk, so you know what? <laughs> there, there we have it. Um, but in the meantime, do stay tuned for our mini episode on the vault tracks. There are six of them. I'm really excited to discuss them. I know a lot of people already have a lot of thoughts on them, so I'm real interested in diving into those with you and um that's coming out real soon so that'll be our next episode so in the meantime just stay tuned for that i guess yeah man it's gonna be a bunch of we're gonna dive in so that's why we're, we're separating it from this because these are tracks that we've never heard um which yeah. is 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 so cool you know so yeah what a day or two from when you're listening right now it's popping yes. out be ready for it and even if you don't care about this, you're going to want to listen because that's when we'll reveal what our next episode is. So we're, we're going to make you wait in suspense and listen to part two of this first because we're not done with this yet. So in the meantime, this podcast is ours. I'm so happy we get to do this every week. And just stay tuned another day or two for the next episode. Peace.